Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. We're back. Here we are. Yeah, there, we here are. we are. Peak Speak. Lockdown edition for John, freedom edition for Thomas, lockdown edition forever for Sydney, lockdown edition most of the time yes. for Melbourne, Perth, who the fuck cares? No one's over there that listens to Peak Speak anywhere, as far the, as I know. The, Demo the Democratic Republic of Western Australia. Just kidding. We love our Perth people, whoever you are. Let us know. Tag us. We do. Tag us. We do. Yes. What's going on? Yes. Oh, yeah. Look, I'm going a bit nuts being locked in my house. Um and having to continually find ways to entertain a three-year-old mm. um, because a three-year-old who has not had any interaction with other three-year-olds is going a bit crazy. Um, but we built a pa paper mache volcano yesterday and painted it today, and so we're going to make that shit explode with some oh, vinegar and bicarb at some point, which I'm super excited about. I suspect I might be more excited about it than he is, but I'm okay with that. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, you know, just ticking along. Fortunately, the weather's beautiful in Canberra at the moment, so we're spending a lot of time in the garden doing shit like that, which is nice. Yeah, how's things up north? Well, do you guys have limitations on how long uh, how long you're allowed to spend out of the house? Like, are you allowed to exercise when and yeah, when yeah, you want, or is it one hour a day or something? Yeah, so it's one hour one hour a day, um, and you're supposed to keep it within your local area. So, like, the place that I normally like riding my bike at is like a 15 minute drive from here, so I haven't ridden there since i've just been riding like from my house yeah um but an hour's just like not very long normally i'm i'm more like go for a ride for like an hour and a half mm. so it's like i end up spending an hour of just like fucking hammering it as hard as i can for an hour which yep. is just not quite as enjoyable as being able to meander a bit more through it but uh you know make a do with what we've got i just picked up a bike trainer uh and a my brother's old road bike so i'm gonna set that shit up and sit in my garage and sweat heaps in a puddle and ride a bike to nowhere amazing amazing well you're you're a very <laughs> not really. you're a very good boy for sticking to the one hour limit i don't know if i'd be as diligent with that as you i think i'd be going out like two or three times a day yeah look i i think we're fortunate to have a nice backyard and stuff like that which makes it a little bit easier to deal with i know there are certainly some people who are um doing that but also it means i have to set my strava settings to private so people can't see my uh two hour bike ride yeah uh recording <laughs> so just remembering to do that so it's not quite uh so obvious that i'm blank breaking the laws i did ride for an hour and three minutes the other day because i miss uh, I underestimated or overestimated how much distance I could cover in an hour. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Andrew Barr hasn't come and knocked on my door yet, so I think we'll be okay. Well, I'm going to pretend to know who that person is. I'm guessing some sort of Canberra politician. Uh, he's, he's the... Yeah, he's the chief minister. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I'm I'm um, guessing most people know a lot more about politicians than I do because in, in the conversation we've had for the last half an hour, you've probably mentioned three names that I've never heard of. Uh but that's that's just me because I'm terrible at that stuff. Anyway, 
life in Queensland. Oh, well. Life in Queensland is good. Our restrictions ease tomorrow, and we'll probably get locked down next week because that seems to be the, the theme of the country at the moment. But <laughs> we'll, we'll yeah, yeah, we'll roll with the restrictions easing as as best we can for now. Um, I get a. I'm pretty sure I get a shipment of Texas bars next week, uh, like 25 new Texas deadlift bars and squat bars and, and power bars to go to various gyms, um, which is really exciting. Uh, it's, I think this is the first. Yeah. I've only. You still haven't told me whether I can have one of them or not. Oh, yes. That's a Daniel problem, not a Thomas problem. Um, but yes, you can. Uh, you heard it here. So now it's, now it's, now it's official. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm almost through my mystery coffee. I've been smashing that. The prism, the prism boys really outdone themselves, outdid themselves, outdone themselves. They did well with this one. Have outdone themselves. Yes, yes, they did. They did. We hammered through. Well, man, I'm like, I used the last of our coffee this morning because turns out with two of us at home with constant access to a coffee machine, we just drink way more coffee than we would <laughs> otherwise. Yeah. So get yourself some prism. Ten percent off with Peak Speak. You know what to do. I think it's twenty percent. Twenty percent off. Although that that may have been just last week, I'm not sure. Yes, and you get twenty percent off Manscaped as well. And I don't know if you know this, John. Ooh. You should know because you're a father. Father's Day is just around the corner. And you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped trademark Manscaped. Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The Lawnmower 4.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PeakSpeak at manscaped.com. Yeah, their uh, fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. And I had this discussion with someone the other day. I suspect that the skin safe technology that makes it safe for your testicles probably also makes it safe for other parts of genitalia that are non penis slash <laughs> testicle related. So maybe you don't have to just keep this as a ball trimmer. Maybe you could buy it for your lady friend. Yes, you heard that, Lydia. You can buy one yourself and you can shave whatever you want absolutely oh shout out to Lydia she's great all right um, so that's 20% yes. off with free shipping at manscaped.com use the code peakspeak don't forget that you came from your dad's balls wow I wasn't expecting that this year show your original home and show your original home some love with manscaped buy your dad a pair of ball shavers there we go oh my god that was I was not expecting that turn. I that I used good. mine this morning like and um, uh, it's great. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of it. So yeah, I I really like it. Yeah. It's cool because like um, I don't know if I would have ever bought one without you know Peaks Peak coming on board with it. But now that I have one, I'd definitely highly recommend it. So don't know how you survive without <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, I've been using a, a massive like pro hair trimmer that I bought years ago for <laughs> actually cutting my hair and. It's dangerous. <laughs> I was just make the joke. I've got a barbershop in the gym. Uh, when people ask me, hey, do you use the thing? I'm like, yeah, it's so much better than using CJ's tools. And they all get haircuts here. So they're like, um, what? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so good. All right. That's so great. we're going to complete the deadlift series. We got a few questions on the Peak Speak Instagram regarding uh, deadlift. So we'll, we'll go through these now, answer some of your questions. Um, and that'll be this episode. Uh, where should we start yes. on this? I'm going to start with this one. Uh, John Sheridan, what are your thoughts on using straps in training? I would have a couple of years ago said never because 
I was the sort of person that drew hard lines in the sand about arbitrary bullshit based on what I believed. Uh, now I can see a much more use, uh, a much more valid use for them. I think the problem becomes, for the most part, when you start relying on straps. When it's like, I can only lift this weight because the straps are there to help me hold it, as opposed to I'm using these straps to help me finish my deadlift sets because I've ripped the shit out of my hands on this brand new Texas bar, you know? And I think that's where I've certainly been a little bit anti-straps in the past because it's, I've not seen the value in like, Mm. hey, my hands hurt, just put the straps on. But I think now more than anything, I think if you can do the main work without straps and then you feel like the thing limiting your ability to finish the work that you need to do is the skin quality on your hands or is something like that, then I'm all for using straps. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm completely on board with that. Like, um, I, I used to be pretty similar in the, in the sense of avoid straps at all costs if and where possible. Um, obviously sometimes Mm. it gets to the point where you need to, to do the work, but I'm far more relaxed on it now, especially with hook grip pullers, uh, with people who pull. Yeah. Hook grip for sure. uh, People who pull hook grip, as long as your grip isn't an issue, if your grip's an issue, it needs some training and grip training has to be specific to the deadlift. So you're going to need to work on Mm -hmm. deadlifting without straps. If you're one of these people that prefers to get all the work done with straps and has no problem with their grip, the only thing I would say on top of this question when it comes to how, you know, should you wear straps is be mindful of how you use the straps. It's really easy with straps to let it dangle at the very end of your fingers. And if you're relatively strong- And end up with an inch and a half. Exactly. An inch and a half of extra range. If you're strong, you're using a deadlift bar and you're, you know, touching lightly on the floor. Exactly that. You're- you're essentially doing a mini block pull and that can be really detrimental when you then go grab it and pull it from the floor. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I don't really have that much more to to add to that when it comes nah. to straps and training. Um, uh, here's a pretty general one and it's relatively common. Best shoes to wear, non-leather if possible. Yeah, so I, like most powerlifters, when I got into powerlifting, was like, fucking Chuck Taylors are the perfect fucking powerlifting shoe. And then I realized that actually that's bullshit for anyone who doesn't have really long, thin, pencil-like feet. Uh, And mostly because I learned that by blowing the sides out of a bunch of chucks, um, squatting super wide. The first nationals I went to was Capo Nationals in 2011. And I blew my shoes out like two weeks before the meet mm. and was like, oh, I can't fucking change my shoes two weeks before the meet. So I duct taped them back together. And I still got them somewhere in my shed <laughs> wrapped in duct tape. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I think in general, I like something that is relatively thin, relatively flat, and um, uh, is going to allow you to like actually spread your foot out a little bit. Um, beyond that, I don't really give a shit. Like whatever yeah. you're sort of comfortable in. Um, I'm not particularly pedantic about what it is that you're wearing. I wear Vivos because I like wearing Vivos. Also, if you want to use the code BURLY2602, you get a sweet discount on Vivos uh, at Soul Mechanics. Is that, is that the name of the thing? Yeah, Soul Mechanics. Um, but anyway, they're, they're good because they're like a minimalist shoe that's super thin so you can feel the ground a bit. There's no like support or padding or anything in them like that. But... 
beyond that, I think as long as you can sort of tick those boxes, you should be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I would agree. Like, I think there are some, some non-negotiables when it comes to shoes for deadlifts and for squattings uh, uh, around like, you know, if the if the sole is spongy and you're losing connection to the floor and power transfer, yeah. that's a, that's an obvious no. But outside of that, it's so, so largely personal preference. It's like, what, what can you perform the best in without, uh, you know, without it playing on your mind? go with that mm. and something flat firm uh you know these minimalist shoes are, are becoming far far more popular if you're a if you're a sumo deadlifter the slippers are now getting better the old deadlift slippers weren't great for yeah, yeah they just were so you just like yeah. they just rotate on your foot they weren't great so now these ones with straps um uh, they tend to be getting better don't make the rookie mistake that i made at um at actually my, the last comp i did which was i competed equipped last december I do all my training almost exclusively in socks and I trained mm. all the way up to this comp in socks and I hadn't worn my shoes once. And I have, um, I have boxing shoes, just like, you know, tall, skinny yeah, sort yep. of flat shoes, but the boxing shoes I got, I had to modify. They had a spongy sole and I had to cut it out. And so on the day I put them on and they still have a little bit of a, I guess a little bit of sponginess in them. And I was all over the place with the kind of weights I was lifting equipped and I dropped my opener. Yeah. I picked it up and I lost balance forward and I dropped it. And so I quickly changed uh, changed shoes. It cost me an attempt. <clears throat> Lucky I didn't care about the comp too much, but make sure at least if you're wearing shoes, you're wearing them close enough in, in proximity to competition so you don't get thrown off by them. Yeah, and that's where I think slippers and like especially some of the newer, better made <laughs> slippers can be really useful because you can just train in them all the time. Like they're they're just like socks so they work really well like that because i'm i'm the same i do most of my training barefoot anyway uh and so then as soon as i'm in a position where i have to think about doing a comp or something like that it's yeah a little bit more pertinent to put them on early so you don't get thrown yes um your boy maxi bond training asked how do i spew like kev <laughs> how's it how's that for a throwback Oh man, that was still probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen at a powerlifting comp. And actually, the funniest part was watching you completely lose it for like twenty minutes afterwards. Oh. Um, so, for those who are unfamiliar classic. with this, Ke Kevin Huang was a like a, a centerpiece member of my gym for many years, uh, and he was just like the people's champ. Everyone loved him. You couldn't not love Kev. One of the nicest blokes you've ever met. And um, I ran nationals the the summer nationals or whatever it's called now around that in 2016 and in his final deadlift he he spewed everywhere <laughs> and was, because he'd fucking drunk an entire can of monster and, ate a bag and of eaten lollies. like two-thirds of a bag of <laughs> red like not just something. lollies but like sour gummy worms <laughs> so it was like sour worms and monster oh, oh fuck it was so good we'll see if we can get sam to put the like i've got photos of the exact moment where he's got this big like vomit trail coming out of his face while he's deadlifting it's so good it was just amazing i think that was the first time i ever saw someone spew lifting in person like i'd seen lots of videos yeah. of it but i don't think i'd ever seen it in person. at least it wasn't one of those projectile ones do you remember the one from ptc sydney that like went viral and went like it projects yes. that was fucking wild yeah, yeah. <laughs> have yeah, you ever dude. done it have you ever spewed yeah. during a lift no, I'd probably just let go before I yeah. spew. I'm too much of a wuss when it comes to that. I'm just like, ah, fuck it. I don't care that much. I, th I think we've all had um, like the moment where you bend down to the deadlift bar and you're like, okay, not now. No, I'm going to stop right now. <laughs> you know, I've yeah, never, I've yeah, never yeah. actually gone through and yeah, yeah, I've I've definitely had that. 
<laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah, much like shitting yourself squatting. I've come very close and had a few, like, moments of, like, oh, no, can't do this set before I go for a shit, but uh, never actually gone through with it. Yeah. We'll have to get Ed Cohen again and on again and have him tell the story of him shitting his pants squatting because that's fucking epic. Um, I'm guessing this is one of your people that oh, or someone amazing. you know, Mountain Strong Canberra. Does that sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, Duncan who's the... That's his climbing gym. Oh, sweet. Um, so he's uh, my client, rock climbing friend. He says, why are they so superior to squats? Well, firstly, he's wrong <laughs> um, because we all know that squats are superior to deadlifts by at least a oh, factor of deadlifts five. Deadlifts are the poor man's squat. Exactly. Um, and I think he thinks they're amazing because he's just better at them than he is squatting. Yeah. Um, In which case, see our previous but- episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 exactly so yeah i look i used to hate deadlifts a lot more than i do now i think i i hated them for the exact same reason i hate bench press because i sucked at them Mm -hmm. and then i made an active decision to like just enjoy them more and it was fine so Uh i don't think they're superior in any way shape or form but they're fun i'm curious to your answer to this question because i have some reasonably strong opinions on this um isaac store legend he's from uh, our gym here um, he asked, what, what's our opinions on deadlift recovery time being longer than squats? I would have said, yes, it definitely is maybe a couple of years ago. I think I probably put less weight into that now than I have in the path past. It makes reasonably logical sense in my head that the movement that you're doing is for most people uh, a closer representation of your absolute maximum level of strength than any of the other power lifts and so it makes sense that you're imparting more fatigue through that because you're doing something that's harder it's a longer range of motion so all of that kind of makes sense in my head Um, but I think it seems to be very lifter dependent some people can get away with being able to deadlift more frequently than they can squats. I've got a couple of people who like can't squat and deadlift heavy in the same week without running themselves into the ground three weeks in a row. Um, so I, yeah, I would have said it's a hard rule a little while ago. I think it's less of a hard rule now, but it's sort of generally something that I use in my programming strategies. Like we're going to do our last heavy deadlift a few days further away from a meet than we will a heavy squat. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I think it's one of those things that's like reasonably hard to quantify in a general sense. In that it's so dependent on the person and their mechanics and all of those kind of things. Mm. Yeah, no, no, interesting. And uh, you know, I'm going to echo most of that. I I had a in one of my mentoring sessions with Pat. I um, I I threw out all these kind of cliches and all the this kind of common rhetoric that you hear, and this was one of them. I threw this at him, and I was like. I have my opinions on these and I wanted to throw them at him and, and sort of see what he came up with. So it's, uh, yeah, it was an interesting discussion, but where I personally get the feeling this sort of comes from, I believe there was a study many moons ago. Uh, it would have just been a standard EMG kind of study uh, measuring the, the levels of fatigue on the lower back. And it's like, okay, well, your lower back takes a long time to recover. Deadlifts create more fatigue on your lower back. Therefore, deadlifts create more fatigue than the other two lives. And for a start, we can sort of rule out any any studies for the most part that analyze um, technique or analyze a lift 
probably don't control for technique because you can do a deadlift that's very lower back mm. heavy. You can do a deadlift that's not very lower back heavy. Uh, so we can rule that out. Yeah. For, for me, from every logical sense, I would say that it should cause less fatigue than squats. And I'm looking at this purely as where does the power come from? Muscles, legs, and hips. In a squat, we're going through a lot more range. Therefore, it should create more fatigue. The point that you raised about load is going to be important. Because of less range, you should be able to do more load, and that's going to contribute to more fatigue, for sure. But like you said, it's so variable based on the person, based on the program. I feel, though, that we have to be careful with running the rhetoric of, okay, they create more fatigue than squats, because then that filters into methodology. Like you were saying, the peaking point, interestingly, you know, five to seven days for your last mm. heavy bench, you know, seven to 10 feet squat, 10 to 14 feet deadlifts. If that's built on this notion and that notion's wrong, then that idea of peaking doesn't then add up, you know, things like that. I also wonder with this as yeah, well, sure. how much of like uh, most of the people that I know, and I mean, this doesn't apply to everyone by, by any stretch of the word, but a lot of people run their training week where deadlifts fall towards the end of the week. So if you're fatigued from the full week of training yes. or fatigued from a full week of work and then you deadlift on Friday, it's going to feel like it's heavier. It's going to feel like it's harder. You're going to feel more beat up. You know, that makes sense. Like, I wonder of how much of a mentality around, like, it is the most fatiguing. Okay, now I feel it is there as well. So that's an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely, definitely some confirmation bias there. And I think, like you said, it's going to be really hard to actually quantify that on a general scale that in a way that can actually apply for it to everyone. Because it can be as simple as, like, you're just better technically at deadlifting than you are at squatting you know like so you can get away with three heavy deadlift exposures a week but you can only squat once a week because you're so technically inefficient that it just runs you into the ground like all of these things that are very like you said hard to control for technique in studies and and stuff like that so i think for the most part being able to identify that on a lifter to lifter basis is useful yeah 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 um full metal iron i believe that's bobby from brisbane he asks adapting to body changes like having a bigger belly yeah well isn't it ed Cohn that said the way to find your perfect weight class is to or your ideal weight class is to keep gaining weight until your deadlift stops going up <laughs> uh in correlation with your body weight which i actually think is a, like a really reasonably useful rule for the most part because i certainly feel less comfortable deadlifting at 140 than i do at 120 i don't know if i'd say uh, ideal weight class as much as just like ideal level of fatness <laughs> yeah 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 well that's probably a better description and i think that's some of the misconception around this idea of like moving up weight classes and bulking and powerlifting is that people just use it as an excuse to get really fat mm. and getting really fat if you're a conventional deadlifter will have a detrimental effect on your deadlift uh and there's not a lot you can do to it to it because it's not like the technique changes it's still the same principles of what you're trying to do you're still bracing in the same way you're still initiating the movement in the same way all of those things are the same it's just fucking harder to do because there's your stomach's running into your knees um yeah. so it's one of those things that again i think you've got to be a little bit experimental about adjusting to things as you go but for most people it'll kind of happen naturally because you'll have been gaining weight and training at the same time. So it's not like you've put on 15 kilos since the last time you deadlifted, in which case, yeah, it's going to feel fucking really weird and all over the shop. It's far more likely that you've put on 15 kilos 
and noticed at some point, like, yeah, man, my deadlifts just feel a bit harder to get into position off the floor. Mm. So I wouldn't necessarily give advice about changing technique or anything like that. I think you've just got to get comfortable with understanding what you're trying to do with each part of the process rather than this is the way I deadlift. If you understand the principles of how to create a solid deadlift platform, then you can adjust the minutia of like foot position, foot angle, hand position, those sort of things in a way that allows you to still tick those big rocks mm. off. Yeah, it's interesting because exactly what you were saying, you know, the, the changes tend to happen organically when you're gaining weight. You're like, fuck, this, this yeah. feels shit. I need to take my hands out wider. I need to turn my feet out more to let my belly come between my knees. That sort of happens organically. Um, I, I tend to find that people have a much harder time going the opposite direction, managing their body changing in the opposite direction, and then either maintaining the habits of when they were bigger or now being exposed to a lot less automatic stability coming from that wider base of support of just having more stuff around your waist. Um, so I, yeah, yeah, I'd say sure. this question applies in terms of like paying close uh, attention and monitoring technical change uh, when you're losing weight rather than gaining weight. Um, yeah. All right. Well, how are we doing for time? Uh, well, we might finish with this one. Um, CK1987 asks, starting position in regards to a power bar versus a deadlift bar. Any stark differences? I don't think so. I can't see any reason why. The only the only thing I would ever mention about using a deadlift bar would be with someone who is very strong and has never used a deadlift bar before and just reminding them that they need to be aware of the fact that the bar is going to flex as they start to apply force. So that's really only going to apply in my head if you're pulling over 250 you know, with comp plates, because with bumpers, like, sure, pull over a 140 and suddenly your deadlift bar is basically at right angles. But um, I think if you're not that strong, it's probably not going to make any difference whatsoever. It'll probably just feel nicer because it's a bit thinner. It's a bit easier to hold on to. It flexes a bit more, so it feels kind of nice. Um, but I wouldn't change anything about how you do it. I think it's just that understanding that it is going to flex and that you're going to need to account for that in how you apply the force. Mm -hmm. Yep, I'd echo that. You know, in the last um, in the last episode, uh, we spoke through our our ideas of what the starting position is and should be. And for me, that makes no difference whether you're on a, a deadlift bar or a, or yeah. a stiff bar. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm with yep. you. It's just about being aware of what happens when you're using that equipment, accommodating you know whatever thought process that you need to, uh, in managing the change if you switch from one to the other. But even without overthinking that, it, it's going to happen by itself anyway. Like the first time you use a yeah, weird piece sure. of equipment, it always feels fucking weird. You you adapt to that so yeah. quickly. Exactly. And also deadlift bars are way more prolific now. Like you can just find a deadlift bar in so many more gyms now than you could like when we first started competing. Mm -hmm. And so I think the not touching a deadlift bar until you get to a meet is far less common now than it was in our sort of early years. Um, so I think for the most part, even just if it's like you travel to a gym to get one heavy deadlift session on a deadlift bar, there's probably some advantage to that. Um, but I wouldn't go about actually changing anything that you're doing uh, to accommodate for mm -hmm. it because I don't think it makes that much difference. For sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for submitting your questions and we really hope that helped out and uh, we look forward to continuing to supply you with as much knowledge and information as we can.
That is the most professional. Know, how good was that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's ruin it by talking shit about it afterwards. Yep, absolutely. Excellent. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>